Hello, I'm Reese Nipper, and I'm an 11th grader at Riverview High School. Our scripture passage today comes from the third chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning with the first verse. Now there was a prophecy named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. From no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after growing old? Can anyone enter a second time into the mother's room and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not hear, know where it comes from where or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you teacher of Israel, and yet do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the man of God. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must of the man of God be lifted, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Reese. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, may the word just read point to the word to come, and may it all work together to point to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So there is a story that I've heard, actually it's a short film that won the Academy Award for Best Short Film, about a woman who is in Grand Central Station. And she has finished a long day of shopping and her arms are laden with bags from Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and she has on her fur coat and her fur hat and she's rushing to make her train and she misses the train. And she's exhausted, and she's hungry, and she's a little uncomfortable with the environment, but she decides to go to a little diner in the train station and to get a salad. She buys a salad there, puts it down, sits down to eat her salad, and realizes she doesn't have cutlery. So she gets up, gets her cutlery, and is wiping off the fork, making her way back to the booth, when what does she find? But there's a man sitting in the booth, and he's eating her salad. She stands there, she says to him, you're eating my salad. And he just sort of laughs and continues eating his salad. And she says, I'm sorry, you're eating my salad. And he kind of pushes the salad to the center of the table. And she's left with a decision about what to do here. So she sits down and she's starving. It's been a long day, so she takes a bite. And then he takes a bite. And so it goes back and forth. He offers her the salt and pepper. And she says, no, 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 it's okay. It goes back and forth until the salad is done and they call for her train and she gets up, leaves to go and realizes she's forgotten her bags. So she goes rushing back to the cafe, I think probably quite certain that the bags won't be there. And what she finds is that they are, but the man is gone and her bags are there right where she left them, 
right next to her untouched salad. Things aren't always what they seem to be. People aren't always who they seem to be. And what we know is not all there is to be known. John's Gospel introduces us today to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus knows a lot. He would have, as a Pharisee, been studying Scripture since he was a little boy. Indeed, Pharisee means set-apart ones in Aramaic. And they were set apart because of their strict observance of rites and ceremonies concerning the written law and their insistence on the validity of oral traditions concerning the law. And maybe it's this allowance for the validity of oral tradition or the revelation of God outside of the written word of the Torah that allows Nicodemus to be curious enough to seek out Jesus and speak to him, albeit in the middle of the night. He has heard of Jesus performing signs, miracles, and he knows that this can only be possible through God, but still he cannot hear Jesus' testimony. He can only hear Jesus' words on a literal level. And Jesus is anything but literal, especially in this gospel. Jesus is using unfamiliar words, he's using unfamiliar language, and he's speaking somewhat cryptically as Jesus had a tendency to do. And Nicodemus's his curiosity, it would seem, cannot overcome his certainty. His certainty prevents him from really understanding. What Nicodemus needs to do, perhaps, is loosen his grip on his own understanding enough to allow for something new to be born, to allow for a new way of seeing. To see the kingdom of God, he has to stop relying on his own knowledge. And so it is with us. Certainly, as Christians, it's worth considering holding loosely on our own interpretation of Scripture. The Bible is, after all, a complicated and fascinating book, and the Word of God. It seems prudent that we would approach interpretation with humility. One of my heroes, Rachel Held Evans, once wrote, My interpretation can only be as inerrant as I am. And it's a good thing to remember. All we know is not all there is to be known. And I wonder this morning how we might also be less certain and more curious about one another. When we enter a conversation or a relationship, when we're certain we know all there is to know about another person, the less chance there is that we will learn something new. When I see someone wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt or a Make America Great Again hat, and I assume I know all there is to know about that person, I'm wrong. When I hear someone is battling addiction or obesity, and I think I understand everything there is to know about that person, I am wrong. When I'm certain I know everything about the people who frequent our food pantry, I am wrong. When I'm certain I know everything about my own children, or my spouse, or my parents, I'm wrong. Certainly, this was true for us this last couple of days in Honduras. We can know it's one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. We can know that many consider it an unsafe place to visit. 
we can know that 50% of the people live in poverty, but this tells you nothing about the Honduran people. It tells you nothing of their resilience, of their ingenuity. It's very fresh for me. It says nothing of the depth of their faith or their commitment to one another. The Gospel of John is all about incarnation, which means being born again. And incarnation requires death, letting go of our own certainty, yielding to a curiosity that allows for something beyond what we've decided is true. Curiosity allows for people to be more than we think they are. I have some personal experience with letting go of certainty, I will be honest. I should preface this with a note that I have permission to share what I'm about to say. I sort of accidentally married someone with very different ideas about a lot of the issues that confront our country. I say accidentally because, one, I don't think we talked a lot about these sorts of things when we first met and were falling in love. And two, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't think I would have been brave enough or open enough or curious enough to marry someone so different had I known. I grew up in a household and with a circle of friends that pretty much agreed about everything. So dinner conversation would go something like this. I would say something, here is what I think about this. And then there would be a sort of affirming circle that would say, you're right, you're so right, you're absolutely right. And it's really great, right? Because there's no resistance at all. And I could have married someone who just added to that echo chamber these people effectively confirming my own sense of certainty. But really, what a pity that would have been. Don't get me wrong, it's hard at times. There have been hurt feelings and a couple of slammed doors and, in a few instances, a decision to agree to disagree. But I'm so much better for it. It's expanded my mind and my heart in ways I could not have predicted. It turns out that what I know is not all there is to be known. Quite a shocker. <laughs> Pastor Steve has shared the story of former white nationalist Derek Black, who started at New College a number of years ago, very committed to the ideology he grew up in. And when his identity was revealed at New College, many of the students protested and called for his expulsion. But Matthew Stevenson, who is a fellow student and an Orthodox Jew, decided to take another approach. He decided that rejecting Derek would only ensure that Derek would cling to his white nationalism. Matthew's goal was to make Jews more human to Derek to offer a window for Derek to a world beyond his own certainty. And so every Friday, Derek and uh, Matthew and their friends would meet in his dorm room and have Shabbat dinner, and they avoided talking about politics or Derek's views. And in the years that followed, the group challenged Derek's views about white oppression, and he began to rethink his positions. He recalls, I had to ask myself, why did these people I feel connected to feel so strongly that my beliefs were wrong and hurting them? Matthew and Derek were each able to lay aside their certainty about the other to allow a relationship to form. And from those relationships, there were new beginnings, new life. Derek, in particular, I think, had to surrender this certainty that he'd been taught, all, he, all he'd been taught all his life, all his family still believes. And he chose instead 
to be curious, to wonder, to allow for the possibility that beyond his own knowledge there was something more to know and that other people, these image bearers of God, had something important to teach him. Unparalleled conviction often goes hand in hand with a crippling lack of curiosity. Unparalleled conviction often goes hand in hand with a crippling lack of curiosity because curiosity requires humility and vulnerability and that can be scary. We will often choose being right over being in relationship and our certainty can put limits on our faith. Certainty makes us smaller because it cuts us off from what God is trying to be about in our lives. When we read about Nicodemus, we have the opportunity to confront the ways in which we tend to be like him, the ways we cannot move beyond what we know to be true, the ways we cling to certainty. Nicodemus is a sympathetic character because in many ways, he is so representative of this propensity in us to cling to our own knowledge, our own perspective, our own life experience and to not allow ourselves to be curious about what lies beyond what we know. We see Nicodemus again in John's Gospel. Twice, first he intercedes for Jesus with the Pharisees to say that Jesus should have a trial. And then, after the crucifixion, Nicodemus is identified as the one who with Joseph of Arimathea brings spices to bury Jesus. And I wonder, was he still certain that he knew who Jesus was? There in the light of day, as he anointed Jesus' body with myrrh and aloes and wrapped him in linen cloths, did he surrender his certainty? Did Jesus' words from years ago make sense to him? Had the events of the week, the gross injustice and the breathtaking demonstration of love create in Nicodemus the humility to see the kingdom of God more clearly? And if not, I wonder, where was Nicodemus in the days that followed when there were whispers on the street? He is not there. He has risen. Perhaps it was all enough for the old man to be born again. And for us, as we cling to our certainty with the hopes that it will somehow keep us safe, we can, having been reminded of the absolute folly of such certainty, release our grip, open our ears. We can approach the Bible and one another with the kind of humility that allows for growth and change. We can allow for something beyond what we know to be known. We can be born again. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, our little systems have their day. They have their day and cease to be but they are but broken lights of thee, and thou, O Lord, art more than they. What we know is not all there is to be known, and our truth is not God's truth. Being born again is a gift from God. It's God's alone to give, God's work to accomplish. Being born again is not about what we know, it's not about what we do. It's about what we make way for God to do in and through us. God is at work bringing us new life. 
So let us humble ourselves and ask more questions. Let's be curious people. Curious people who trust that God wants life, not death, for all of us. Because God so loves the world that he gave his only son. Of this we can be certain. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you great thanks for the ways that you force us to uh, a position of humility and the ways you give us one another and your word to stretch and grow what we understand to be truth. Amen.